In seminary, they don't train you how to deal with all the gadgets and everything that you have in your pocket, on your belt, and everything. So I'm just making sure, sorry if you see me, uh, I, I don't have an itch. I have a number of different devices here that I have to make sure are turned on uh, to be ready for the service. And so, and then my clicker and everything else. So uh, that's why I'm reaching into my pockets. So we're in a final message here in our series titled, What is a Disciple of Jesus Christ? And I pray that you have been blessed as we went through this series. In the past six messages, we've seen uh, what some attributes of a disciple of Jesus Christ are. And so uh, the first one that we looked at, this is now over two months ago, uh, and that is that a disciple of Jesus Christ is called meaning that that you have to be a Christian. You have to have put your faith in Jesus Christ to be a disciple. But once you are a Christian, once you've put your faith in Jesus, once you've responded to the call of him on your life, uh, then you have a purpose. You have a mission that he's given you. Second, next week we saw that a disciple of Jesus Christ follows Jesus. And a Christian, by its very definition, is a follower of Jesus Christ. So we follow him and him alone. We don't follow culture in Jesus. We follow Jesus. We don't follow so-and-so in Jesus or this in Jesus. We follow Jesus and Jesus alone. And then we saw that a disciple of Jesus Christ loves. That our lives as Christians should display love for all people. And in particular, now this is all people, but in particular those that are one another, those that are among us here today. Fourth, we saw that a disciple of Jesus Christ worships, that Jesus is our Savior and God, and since he's the one that we follow, it just makes sense that he is also the one that we should worship. And not just singing, though. It's not just worship as in, oh, you know, that, that's good, that's important, but that should only be one little part of what worship is. Worship should come through our entire lives and everything that we do. Fifth, we saw that a disciple of Jesus Christ bears fruit. And so we, as we become more and more like Jesus, as he transforms us, his fruit should come out of our lives. Six, I believe this was last week we saw that a disciple of Jesus Christ testifies that we are witnesses to the world about what Jesus has done. And so today, we finally make it to the last one, to number seven here, and we will see that this is really a combination of all the others. And we're going to see that a disciple of Jesus Christ makes other disciples. Makes other disciples. And our main text is going to be from Matthew chapter 28. And if you've been here for any period of time, you likely know this passage. And I say that every time we look at this passage or mention this passage. So hopefully you're going to be familiar with what I'm going to be reading in a moment. And this is where Jesus gives the Great Commission. We say it every week at the end of the service. Because this is the verse that we as a church are clinging on to that best describes as a whole what our mission is as a church. And so to start out this morning, I want to show you a short video that I came across. Now, my wife is in the nursery this morning. She wasn't too big on it. So if you're not big on bugs, I want to apologize in advance. But uh, it's only about a minute and a half. Let's go ahead and let's take a look. 
there should be some audio. All right, while, while they're figuring out the audio here, um, the, the basic gist of what you see here are termites. This is a, a big group of termites here. And they're talking about this blobby one in the middle. This is the queen termite. And the video talks about how all the other termites, the, I don't know, millions and millions of other termites that are in there are all serving the queen. And their very one purpose is to serve the queen so that the queen can do one thing and one thing alone, and that is to make babies. And they make babies and babies and babies. In just a moment, you see, there there you go, the little babies popping out there. Isn't that cute? 30,000 eggs a day, 365 days a year, and 10 million plus a year. 10 million plus a year. And this video said, we'll go ahead and we'll skip this. Uh, This video said that they last for 15 years. I saw other videos uh, that said that they last for 30 years. So either way, that's millions and millions and millions of termites. And why was this possible? Or how was this possible? Well, it was possible because of their focus, that their one goal was to produce more and more and more babies. Now, hopefully you see where I'm going here with this, that as Christians, we are told to do the same, not with termites, but we're told to do the same with other Christians, with disciples. And so this will only happen This will only be possible if we have a similar focus. Minus having a queen there. But listen, as a church, we're not going to make disciples if we don't have that same kind of drive that these termite examples did for for, us, have as well. And so Jesus did not command us to go out and be awesome, showy, individual disciples. Jesus didn't command us to just be good monks and go off and study the Bible 24-7 for 60 years and never see another person. We as Christians are called, are commanded to go and to reproduce. And so guess what? We are not doing if we're not doing this. If Christians do not go and make other Christians then we as Christians are not doing our job. And so with this in mind, we're going to go ahead and I'm going to read the whole passage and then we'll we'll go back and look at uh, different parts of it. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end 
of the age. So by the time that Jesus is saying this, Jesus had already been killed. People saw him hanging on the cross, bleeding, dying, and then dead, and then put into a tomb. But then people saw him alive again. And knowing this and seeing what happened radically transformed most of the disciples. Though apparently we we see that some doubted, so not every single person. But there's a huge difference in Peter's life between before and after the resurrection. And many of the other disciples as well. And Jesus stands before them and starts out by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I was thinking about this. It's not that the disciples didn't know this already based on what they've seen. I mean, they just saw a man killed and then rise from the dead. That's a man with authority. And yet Jesus stands there and says, all authority has been given to me. So what what is Jesus meaning when he says that? Well, if you were here a number of months ago when we went through Daniel, uh, the verse I'm about to read to you may sound familiar. This is from Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold... With the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." So this is a vision that's about 500 years before Jesus. And finally, he says that the Son of Man, and that's talking about Jesus, comes before the Ancient of Days, and that's God the Father. And the Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man dominion and glory. And through the dominion and glory, all peoples, all nations, all languages serve him serve the Son of Man. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says that all authority has been given to him. He's essentially now stepping into the spotlight and saying, it's time. It's time. The prophecy from Daniel will now start to be fulfilled. It's Jesus' time to be worshipped like he should. Continuing on in the, in the verses there, he then says, all right, he has the authority. So he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So this is the mission that he's giving each of his followers. And this is the mission that we have as well. So let's look at this verse more closely. First of all, he says, go. And I think this particular word, is very important for us today in 21st century America. Because uh, now we work all day, we do things, but what do most people do in the evening once we get home and have done all of our stuff? We sit down. Some people, you know, we get out our phones, check out Facebook, check out social media, and you just sit there. And what is Jesus saying and said? Saying, go, go. You see, going involves action. 
It means not being passive. It means not just sitting back and waiting for opportunities to come to you. It's getting out there and going. The person you see up here on the screen, William Carey, he was an English missionary from the late 18th century. He grew up, uh, as uh, he worked as a blacksmith until he eventually became a Christian. And when he became a Christian, he then started pastoring a church. Carey didn't have a formal education, but he was a huge reader. And he would read all these books about adventures and trips over to distant lands. And the more that he thought about it, the more that he became convinced that people needed to go and share Jesus with these distant lands. And so he started telling people, and he started writing a book or two about the importance of Matthew chapter 28, how all Christians are called to obey by going and making disciples. So several years later, in 1793, Carey, his wife, and, and some of his children moved to India and he is, and his family endured all sorts of suffering. Multiple family members died within a few years, including his wife. When he remarried, his remarried wife eventually died also because of the difficulties in India. And yet through all of these difficulties, Carrie pressed on and remained there for the rest of his life. Now, for the first number of years, many, many years at the beginning, when it was difficult, family was dying, all of this, there was absolutely no fruit in the sense no one turned to Jesus, no one got baptized, very few were interested, most people persecuted him. His family, his wife, literally was going mentally crazy there, and it was very difficult, but he stood fast. He understood what the word go meant. I could preach on the word go a whole sermon, but I want to move on to the next part because this is really the focus of our mission, of our sermon here, and that is to go and to make disciples. So that right there is our focus. Making disciples is our mission, and that should be the passion of every disciple of Jesus Christ. But this leads to two important questions. What exactly is a disciple? And then how do you make one? He's telling us to go, but but how do we do that? Now let me ask you, if I were to ask you to go and make me some bubble tea, some of you, and I've gotten these questions, but some of you would have the very same questions. First of all, you you would need to know what in the world is bubble tea. But then second, some of you would also, maybe you know what it is, but you'd say, how do I make it? This picture here, by the way, is uh, from my office. So I I know I'm able to make it um, in my office now, which was a big breakthrough in in my life there. (laughs) But listen, the, the same is true for making disciples, that we need to know the what and the how. So first of all, what is a disciple? And this entire series has focused on that question. But very simply put, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. This isn't going to be shocking to you. We've already established what a disciple is. 
It's someone who has chosen to follow Jesus, to put their faith in him. But even more, it's someone who has chosen to continue to follow Jesus. So being a disciple is not just a one-time thing where you say, oh, I'm a Christian, and then you sit back and do nothing. No, being a disciple, even though this involves every Christian, being a disciple should be one that follows Jesus every day, intentionally and continually. I like how one pastor said, Today, many incorrectly use the title disciple to refer to a person who is more committed than other Christians or to those involved in special discipleship programs. We can see from Jesus's commission that all Christians are disciples. It's not just some. uh, It's just that some are obedient disciples while others are not. So there's not different levels of being a Christian. There's not disciples and ordinary Christians. There's Christians, period. And Christians are disciples who follow Jesus. But this leads to the next question. How do you make one? How do you make a disciple? So we've seen attributes of what a disciple is over the past two months. We've looked at all the ones that I just talked about earlier, but in the passage here that we're looking at, Jesus gives two actions of a disciple maker, two actions that we go and carry out to make disciples. Let's read these again. He says in verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So here we see two key actions of making a disciple. And that are, and those are baptizing and teaching. So let's talk about each of those briefly. So first of all, there's baptism. Baptism. And in Greek, the word baptized means to submerge into water. So when you're baptized, you're submerged into the water and then you're brought up out of the water. Baptism is a picture of what Jesus has done or did in your life. So when you go in the water, you're buried. You've died to your old life. And then when you come out of the water, you've been given new life. You've risen again through Christ. And so baptism says that you have died to your old life and been raised to a new life in Jesus. But there's also proclamation in baptism because it's usually done in public. And so it's proclaiming to others that you have died and risen in Christ. And in the Bible, we always see baptism take place after a profession of faith. And so the the correct order is that you become a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and then you get baptized. So in the Bible, we never see infants getting baptized. We never see unsaved children getting baptized. And we never see unsaved adults getting baptized. Why? Because none of these people have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And baptism is a way of showing what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And so some of you here today have been a Christian for a long time. 
and you've never been baptized. And if that's you, then I want to just very kindly say that you're not following the pattern that the Bible has set for us to do. You may say, but, but Kyle, that, that's how we did it in the church growing up. And I would counter by saying, but is that how we see it done in the Bible? So the good thing is that this is very easily fixable. And so go ahead and get baptized. And if you're interested in getting baptized, you have come to the right place because we are in Island Pond Baptist Church. And so we believe so strongly in baptism that it is right part of our name here. And we have a a baptismal built in to the stage right here. We have spent literally thousands of dollars on this stinking thing here (laughs) to get the water warm enough so that when you get in, you're not freezing and shaking and shivering and lose and lose uh, feeling in your legs, which has happened. But I say this uh, not to scare you, because we fixed it. We fixed it. And so, listen, we can get it almost as hot as a hot tub now. And so I encourage you, if, if you have not been baptized and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, reach out to me, contact the office, fill out one of the connection cards in the back of the pew seats, come see me after the service, email the office, whatever it may be. And uh, eventually it'll all end up over to me and I will reach out to you and I'll talk to you about uh, the next step about getting baptized. So now going back to our passage and let's think about this big picture. What is Jesus telling his disciples to do when he's telling them to baptize people? Well, very simplistically, he's saying that, 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 that we need to go and reach other people with the the message of Jesus, and that that people need to put their faith in Jesus. So when he says go and baptize people, he's saying go and reach people with the good news of Jesus. So the first step, step step one of making a disciple is this. People put their faith in Jesus. And it's just assumed in Scripture that after that you will get baptized. But then second, we see that there is teaching. And once a person has put their faith in Christ and been baptized, the next step is where he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so the the word here that's used is teaching, but I think it goes just far beyond just giving knowledge and acquiring knowledge. It's teaching to observe. And so a a better English word might be training. But training what? What what are Christians training new disciples to do? And he says right there, all that I have commanded you. Well, that leads to what has he commanded us? And where do we find it? In your Bibles is what he's commanded us. And so the second step to making a disciple is this. It's training Christians to learn the Bible, and to live out the Bible. Both things are important. If you just stop at the first one, then you're not doing what you should be doing. A while back, I had to take out the trash and recycle for pickup. You have to roll it out to the, yard, or to the, to, to the roadside. 
And so uh, Josiah and I took all the trash out of the house, and we filled up two bins of recycle and two bins of trash, these big ones. And then we started going back inside, and, and halfway to the house, I remembered, wait a second, I need to move the bins to the road because those, those trash folks aren't coming into the driveway to get them. And so all the effort of getting the trash to the recycle bins and trash bins would have been for nothing if we had not taken that extra step to then go and get them out to the road. And similarly, listen, living out, or, or similarly, that's, what's, that's why making disciples involves living it out as well. You see, it's good to learn the Bible, but it's for nothing if you do not live it out. Now, Dr. Hendricks used to teach Bible at Dallas Theological Seminary. And one day after the seminar, someone came up to him and said, Dr. Hendricks, I've been through the Bible 29 times. And Dr. Hendricks said, wonderful, madam. How many times has the Bible been through you? See, both are important. And if you've noticed that your spiritual life is stalling, or if you feel like you're not growing, then it's probably in one of two areas. Either, first of all, you're not getting in Scripture and learning it. Or second, you're not living out Scripture like you should. So some people here rarely get in the Scripture and read it. And if that's you, then listen, you should not be shocked when you look back on a year of your life and don't see any spiritual growth. Because you can't learn if you don't study the Bible. But others of you are reading, in fact, maybe you read it every day, but you're not, you're not living it out like you should. And if you don't live it out like you should, just like before, you're not going to grow as a Christian. So to go and to make disciples is to teach people and to go and help people put their faith in Jesus, but it's also to learn the Bible and then to learn to live it out. And as a church, this is what we should be doing. As individuals, this is what we should be focusing on. Now, I read an article a while back, I shared this a number of years ago, about a Boeing 747 Dreamlifter. It's a massive plane, and it can haul more cargo than any plane in the world. 600 thousand pounds of cargo. Although when I was practicing this sermon last night with my wife, my son was, my son Paul was listening. He's a big plane guy. And he corrected me and said, there's one other plane in the world that hauls more than that. So take that. Okay. So this is the second biggest plane, I guess. And it usually requires a runway of 9,200 feet. But back in November of 2013, the Dreamlifter was headed to McConnell Air Force Base in Kansas. But it mistakenly landed at the wrong airport. So instead it landed nine miles away at the city-owned... 
little community airport there, Jabara Airport, which has a runway of 6,100 feet. So when the plane landed on that runway, it was so heavy that it damaged part of the runway. Now let me ask you, do you know where you're headed? Or are you just looking for any old airport to land at? In your life, do you know where you're headed? Because as the quote goes, if you don't know where you're headed, any direction is going to get you there. And Jesus, in his great commission, has told us where to head. He has given us the mission. And so remember, I want you to focus on this and remember this. Our top priority as individuals and a church should be to make disciples. Now, are there other good things that would be great to do? Yes. But we need to make sure that we do the main thing that we're called to do, and that is to make disciples. So before I close, I want to show uh, one more short video. And if the audio doesn't work on this one, I'll, I'll come back up and narrate. But let's go ahead and, and uh, let's take a look. Okay, so what we're looking at here is uh, the 2008 Olympics. This is the 400 by 100, uh, 4 by 100 relay. And what we have are seven or eight different teams from heat number one that are racing. America's on the left-hand side there in the blue. And as you can see, they are in first place. But pay attention to what happens next right here. He stopped. Wait a second. Don't stop. The race isn't over. First, second, third. No, no, they did not. They did not make it to the end. Now, what happened here? Well, uh, let, let's, uh, maybe there's a, review, uh, a replay that's coming up. They don't look very happy. And, all right, let's see what happens. Oh, yeah, they're like, yeah, we, we won. We're better. All right, so there's going to be a replay coming up in just a second here. So here he comes in the blue. He has the little baton. He hands it off, and it ends up on the ground. So again, this was from the Olympics. The USA men's team had qualified in this 4 by 100 relay race with the fastest average time out of the 19 countries. So they were expected to win or at least come in the very, very near the very top. So they were in heat one against seven other, other countries, as you saw. And they were doing well, so well, that they were in first place during three quarters of the race. Just before the very last handoff, though, in first place, they go to exchange the baton, and it is dropped. And so as we saw, guess what place they ended up in? No place! Because they ended up with a big fat DNF, did not finish. And church, may, they, may that not be said about us. 
May, they not be, may that not be said about our generation. Before life moves on, may we pass the baton on to others. And may we go and make disciples. And I want to close with these last words of Jesus in our passage from verse 20, which says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so what he's saying is that the work he is calling us to do is not going to be easy, but he will be with us as we do it. And I was thinking about this as I was studying this. What if you're, what if you're like, man, I don't, I don't feel like Jesus is near. Now, in reality, that's not true. But right here, we see right where Jesus is. If you want to be close to Jesus, then, then do what he's telling us to do. And go and focus on making and replicating and making other disciples. And so as a church, as individuals, let's pray that God will use us to impact our community. That God will use us to impact our family, our job, our places. And then even, even on top of that, that God will use us to impact all around the world. So as a church, as individuals, let's go and make disciples. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Worship team, you can come on up here. Let's pray.